The following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, April 16th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good to see you guys this morning. As you're getting settled, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible or a Bible from the pew in front of you and open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. If you go to the dead middle of your Bible, you'll probably land somewhere in the book of Psalms. From there, head right. Very next book, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Sorry, I should have looked at the page number in the Bible in the pew first, but that's where we're going to be this morning. This morning, we are going to start spending some time in the book of Proverbs. And to explain why we would actually take time over the next several weeks to look at the book of Proverbs, we really just need to spend some time in the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. So while this would normally be an introductory sermon to a book before we begin working in a book together, uh, the writer of the book of Proverbs kind of gives us the best introduction that we can have as he opens up the book. These first seven verses are, are known as the prologue to the book, and, and really as we read them, we'll begin to discover that they lay out for us some of the most critical information we could use to, to frame our understanding as, as to why time spent in the book of Proverbs is not only valuable but crucial. And at the same time, as we listen, we also get a framework not only for why the time in the book is valuable, but how to approach what we're going to read over the next few weeks. How do we actually read and receive and, and teach these things we know of as Proverbs? So the why and the how in the first seven verses. So this morning, let's read these verses together, and then I'll pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in them. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray real quick. Good and gracious Father, this morning we ask that you would do what only you could do by your spirit, and that is open up our ears to hear your grace and your truth this morning through your word. We ask that you would do that to the glory of your son's name. Amen. Now, the, the book of Proverbs is arguably the most quoted or maybe misquoted and at the same time, maybe one of the most misunderstood books in the entire Bible. 
It's so misunderstood that Christians around the world for centuries have actually added verses to what they think are found in the book of Proverbs. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, we, we tend to view this book like our own little baptized Christian motivational collection of cookie fortunes that we can crack open and get little nuggets of insight and wisdom and encouragement from. We tend to think about the book of Proverbs as very isolated and different and separate from the rest of Scripture, and not only isolated in its entirety, isolated in themselves, and at the same time, very mechanical. We come to the Proverbs that we find in this book, and we tend to adopt a, if I do this, then I get this kind of mindset. We isolate the Proverbs, we make them mechanized, and we turn them in our hearts, even sometimes unknowingly, away from what they are and into what they're not. They're not promises. That's to misunderstand the reality of this book entirely. And so it's important as we begin some time in the book of Proverbs to just listen to the voice of Scripture itself this morning. As the writer of the book of Proverbs, as Solomon introduces what we have here and lays out the why. Why what we have here as Proverbs really matters. What's the value in this? And not only that, how are we going to actually approach it and apply it? Let's listen to him. Verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So right there, you've kind of got a lot of introductory material. We won't spend a great deal of time this morning in the history and the context, but right out of the gate, you've got the literary strategy of the book, right? The proverb. That's what these are going to be. In Hebrew, the, the word behind proverb is, is actually a word that has a root to, to represent something, right? Proverbs in the Hebrew world, in the Hebrew worldview, were like little microscopic views of reality. Pictures of moments of reality. Many models of reality. They captured the practical reality of life and what it was really like in a moment. They represented something. This is going to be the strategy that's going to be employed throughout this book. And the editors of the book, they attribute the writing and the authorship to Solomon because Solomon actually has written the bulk of what we have here in the book of Proverbs. But as you spend some time in this book and begin to read it, you'll find that there were other contributors to what we finally have here in this book. And so just to give you a big picture overview kind of, of how the book is put together, as you open up this book, in the first nine chapters, you'll find that it's, it's not the collection of proverbs and proverbial sayings that you're accustomed to that you'll actually find in the first nine chapters. In the first nine chapters, there is really an introductory portion to the book. They're actually psalms, more like psalms, that are woven together. And the purpose behind the first nine chapters 
is to entice the reader to desire what is being taught. It's to capture your heart as to why what's being taught actually matters. The first nine chapters kind of give you the the bigger picture of, of what's going to happen. And then starting in chapter 10, you'll find in chapter 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. And from there, what you and I may be accustomed to when we think about Proverbs really begins. And you'll find as you read it, even down into, I think it's verse, or chapter 25, I believe it is, it'll say the wise sayings that Solomon compiled. So Solomon probably gathered wise sayings from other teachers and put them in there. And you'll find in Proverbs chapter 30 that there was a different author. That was Agur. And chapter 31 wasn't Solomon either. The famous Proverbs 31. That was written by Lemuel. But Solomon wrote the bulk of what we have here as the book of Proverbs. And as he began this book and began to lay out the the why behind it, In these first opening introductory verses, he gives us a series of purpose clauses, right? The why, what's the purpose behind this? And he gives a series of them to lay it all out for us, to know, to understand, to receive, to give. The first one there in verse two is to know wisdom and instruction. And so right off the bat, we come to the very thing we most commonly associate with the book of Proverbs, and that's wisdom. In fact, this book is part of what we know of as the wisdom literature of the Bible. And if we're honest, let's just think about it for a moment. We know that in the end, deep down, wisdom is really what the world is aching for. You don't need me to tell you that the vast majority of books sold on Amazon or in the remaining brick and mortar bookstores around the world are books that are dedicated to somehow helping us to live our lives differently. How to have different and better friendships, how to have different and better marriages, how to be different and better employees or workers or managers or leaders, how to handle our money differently, how to do sex differently and better. Everything written, everything communicated now by and large, is seeking this very thing. It's a universal longing. It's an ache that's in every single heart. And we learn from the outset here of the book that a chief aim of this book is that we would know wisdom. That we would know it. And what we're going to come to find is that biblical wisdom is qualitatively different than anything you're going to grab off Amazon. Biblical wisdom, as we come to understand it in the book of Proverbs, is is not a set of truths that we're supposed to learn, memorize, and affirm. Biblical wisdom is all about living skillfully under God. Living skillfully under God. Recognizing God's rule. Recognizing this is his world. How it works and learning to live skillfully according to reality as God reveals it. We spent a lot of time talking about that the last eight weeks. Reality as God reveals it and defines it. And wisdom is learning to live skillfully in God's world according to his reality for his glory 
and our deepest joy. And I say skillfully, very specifically. Because when we come to this purpose clause where Solomon tells us it's to know wisdom, that sounds a little odd. To know wisdom. But in the Bible, that was a very specific language, a very specific phraseology that the Old Testament, in particular, the Hebrew language, uses to speak of specific skills. Now, I'll give you an example. In Genesis chapter 25, you'll find that Esau knew hunting. Now, some of your translations will translate that, that Esau was a skillful hunter, right? It's to know, to know in this way is to be skilled, right? If I, if I was to look around the room and, and say that, that Brett, he knows guitars. It's to say that he is a skillful musician with the guitar, right? To know wisdom is to be skilled. In fact, the word wisdom right there is defined in other parts of the Bible as a skill. In fact, in Exodus 35, this word that we find in Proverbs 1-2 for wisdom is used to define the skill of the artist who adorned the tabernacle. In Jeremiah chapter 10, Jeremiah speaks of the goldsmiths there and their work as skilled or wise, same word, men. To know wisdom is to become skilled at living in God's world under God's rule to God's glory for your deepest joy. Man, that ought to be one of our chief desires. That ought to be one of our deepest longings. To live skillfully in God's world. In reality, as God lays it out for us. Skillfully for his glory and, and our joy. To know wisdom. But not just that. It's to know wisdom and instruction. And if you use the New Living Translation of the Bible, I think they actually get this translation right, a little more accurate when they say to know wisdom and discipline. Discipline. Training. Intentional, orderly effort put towards something. See, no one is born wise. We gain wisdom through God's discipline, instruction, training, correction. It's probably why real, real biblical wisdom is pretty rare these days. It takes intention. It's humbling. There's effort and humility required in order to know wisdom and instruction like this. But wisdom comes and we grow to the extent that we own how unwise we are and begin to grow in the discipline of learning to live skillfully in God's world for his glory. To know wisdom and instruction. But there's another purpose that he gives us here and that's to understand words of insight. Understanding. Discern, discernment. 
Right? Biblical wisdom isn't tell me what to do so that I can do it. That's what you get in the books on Amazon. That's what we get in the podcasts we listen to. Sadly, that's what many of our hearts crave from even God himself. That's what we want. But it's lazy. Understanding and discernment, being able to make wise evaluations and choices, it takes thinking. It takes intention. Discernment is learned. And one of the chief purposes of the writer of the book of Proverbs is that we would understand the words of insight, be able to skillfully use them in discernment. And not only that, verse 3, it's to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Here, we're kind of getting the the perspective here for the book from the learner's perspective, those that are learning from this, right? And we hear that it's going to require a humility of us to receive, a willingness and a humility and a teachability of heart. In the Hebrew world, righteousness, justice, and equity are are all reflections of the character of God on display in the way that people relate with one another, in the way that they live their lives together, in the way that they live their lives with others here on this earth. Part of the purpose is that we would receive with humility and willingness and teachability wisdom in the way that we live pleasing in God's world with one another, reflecting his very character, his very heart, righteousness, justice, and equity in the way that we live. Not only that, look at the next thing in verse 4, the next clause, to give. Now we're going to have it from the perspective of, of the teacher, so to speak, that's writing this, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So here are some of the the benefits, the the purposes intended from the teacher's perspective for those that are learning from the book. Prudence. Some of your translations may translate that shrewdness. It's probably a a more accurate translation of the word there. That simply means being less able to be misled so easily by others. Shrewdness, as you grow in shrewdness or, or prudence here, you're, you're less likely to be so easily tossed to and fro. But it's not just prudence, it's knowledge. How life is best lived under God. How every aspect of our life, in everything, nothing held back, how all of our life is best and most skillfully lived well in God's world. How every part of our life, and as you read through the book of Proverbs, and I'll I'll tell you now at the outset, we're not going to go verse by verse the entire book of Proverbs. We're, We're going to spend time in different parts as we go through it. But take the time to just begin to read it. As you see, there is no stone unturned in your life in this book. There is no topic too taboo to touch. There's no area of your life off limits to the teaching, teaching, the wisdom, and the instruction of God. To give prudence or shrewdness, knowledge, and discretion. Oh my goodness. If there is something absent in the world today, 
absent even often amongst God's people? Is it not discretion? Prudence, knowledge, discretion. And here in this particular verse, in this moment, we're, we're actually introduced or exposed to the intended audience of the book. The simple. Now, that word literally means to be open. Those that are just open. For us, it, it would probably be best understood as those who were just uncommitted. Those who just don't really make up their mind about things. Those who don't really form and live by or haven't yet formed or lived by any solid or settled set of convictions. The simple, the open, are the ones who are undiscerning and easily swayed and misled. In the second half of the verse, you see that he mentions the youth. Because in, in the earliest days, this was a book that was used to train the young people of Israel. You'll see in verse 8, even from the start, fathers and mothers in the home using the wisdom of God in the book of Proverbs, the training, the raising, the cultivating of the soul of their child because children are born without that settled conviction. They're born in need, right? But here's the thing. Many of us today willingly choose to be simple. Willingly choose to be open. Willingly choose to just flow with the breeze, partly maybe to avoid any kind of difficulty or confrontation or hard conversation, easy to get along, get along with, go along with, fit into this scenario and that scenario, don't really have an opinion on this, have an opinion on that, haven't really formed a conviction on this, there hasn't been wisdom born in my heart out of something on this. We just live simple and open. Always agreeable, always likable always prone to being misled. And listen, to remain simple is to choose not to become wise. You're already beginning to demonstrate wisdom's opposite, which is folly or foolishness, as we'll see. In fact, later in this chapter, in verse 22, Solomon will say, how long Oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long, oh, uncommitted ones, will you love just being uncommitted? How long, oh, simple, will you love it? Now, lest you hear this and exclude yourself from the intended audience, Verse 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Right? So even here, the, the, the scope of the audience is broadened, right? No one outgrows the need for wisdom. I hate to break it to you, young people, but when you hit 18, you haven't outgrown the need for wisdom. And when you hit 30, you still haven't outgrown the need for wisdom. And when you hit 50, you still haven't outgrown the need for wisdom. When you hit 75, 
you still have not outgrown the need for wisdom. You still need what Solomon calls here guidance. It's the language of the commander, the shipmaster in those days that controlled the ropes and the sails on a ship. Had all the knowledge, had all the insight. He knew how everything worked, right? It's one thing to know what all the things do, how all the things work. It's another thing altogether to have the guidance, the wisdom to know how they work together in different moments and what's needed for particular situations. You never outgrow the need for wisdom. We're always learning, always needy always having to fight to stay humble and teachable and open to God's spirit to help us to see what we don't see. And then lastly, his last purpose clause, the the why. Like, why is this being put together? To understand a proverb and a saying, the, the words of the wise and their riddles. It takes wisdom to understand how to wisely apply a proverb. You can't just read a proverb and always understand what the most appropriate application of the proverb is. It takes wisdom. In fact, I'll give you an example. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Seems pretty clear, right? Do you know what it says next? Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. The self-confident fool thinks too highly of himself and his opinions, and he shares them freely. So answer not a fool in his folly. Answer a fool in his folly. Which one is it? It takes wisdom. Understanding, discernment, to be able in a situation to know which way we ought to go. So, just out of the gate, really quick, Solomon kind of pins a concise answer to the why. Why this book matters. To skillfully live pleasing to God in his world. Friends, that's in our best interest. It's for our deepest joy and peace. It's why the book should be of interest to us. I I, I love the way that Ray Ortland wrote about this in his commentary in the book of Proverbs. I'd encourage you in that commentary. In fact, I'll show you a couple commentaries for those that are interested next week that you may want to run out and grab as we do this. But listen to him. He said, let's not underrate what we have here in the book of Proverbs. That's what we do. We absolutely underrate and undervalue the book of Proverbs. We make them biblical fortune cookie things, mechanized promises that they're not. He said, let's not underrate them, right? It's more than an optional add-on for people who want to upgrade their life from a four to a seven on a scale of one to 10. This wisdom is a matter of life and death. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn to away from the snares of death, Proverbs 13 says. What if we have many advantages in our lives, but not wisdom? If we have love, but not wisdom, will harm people with the best of intentions. That's what Proverbs 24 was just talking about. We'll harm them with the best of intentions. If we have courage, but not wisdom, 
we will blunder boldly in life. If we have truth but not wisdom, we'll make the gospel ugly to other people. If we have technology but not wisdom, we'll use the best communications ever intended to broadcast stupidity. If we have revival but not wisdom, we'll use the power of God to throw the church into reverse gear. I'm not sure what you thought about the book of Proverbs when you came in here this morning. What is the furthest thing from mechanical and simplistic? This book is a gift of God's grace to his people. So how do we get in on this wisdom? Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This really is the thesis of the book. The beginning, the starting point, but not just a chronological starting point, the beginning, the foundation, the cornerstone, the controlling principle. The same thing that musical notes are to scales and the alphabet is to reading and writing, to a life of wisdom, the beginning, the foundation, the cornerstone is the fear of the Lord. Now, I'll be honest. If you say fear to me, I immediately think of the time that we were broken into in the middle of the night and there was a guy with a gun on the other side of my bedroom door. I immediately think of something like jumping into a pond in Florida and hearing someone yell, Gator. I immediately think, again, all things that have happened in my lifetime. I immediately think of my best friend back home in Nashville who had a police-trained German shepherd that he would let sometimes for fun come barreling out of the fence until I jumped on top of the car. You, you say fear. These are the kind of things that are conjured up in my mind. I immediately think of things that can bring me harm. But that's not what Solomon has in mind here. That's not what's being written about here. The fear of the Lord is a fear of such reverence and awe that grips your heart, it grips your soul to the point that you're so willing and eager to listen, to surrender, and to rest. It's a fear and an awe of his pervasiveness that you live consciously in his presence conscious of your ongoing moment by moment accountability to him who is and who reigns. And notice he's very clear here. This isn't a vague response to the idea of a deity that, that is probably out there. This is a soul-gripping, reverential, knee-bending awe of the Lord. Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the God of the redeeming God, the one who mercifully rescued sinners according to his promise, the one who revealed himself as the one slow to anger, full of mercy, steadfast in love and faithfulness, 
who rescued his people from slavery, brought them to himself, settled them in the land that he had promised, and promised to be for them for all of eternity, who most fully and finally gave his promise in his son. It's not a vague fear of a deity that might be out there somewhere. This is a reverential, soul-gripping, knee-bending awe of the Lord. Which is why the psalm can say in Psalm 2, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's real fear, real awe, and it's real joy. And there's no contradiction. He is God. He is supremely majestic. There is fear. Yet there's reason for joy. This is the God who has committed his love to us in his son. And so as one writer said, the fear of God for the believer is not the kind of fear that makes you run away. It's the kind of fear that makes you bow. It's the fear that overwhelms and humbles. It's the fear that commands submission. And this, Solomon says in verse 7, is the beginning. The controlling principle of wisdom. On the other hand, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools have a personal, relational contempt that's what despising something is. When you despise someone, it's personal. There's a relational contempt for them. And notice here in verse 7, he doesn't put the wise person as the opposite of the fool. The wise person isn't mentioned in verse 7. What's mentioned opposite the fool in verse 7? The fear of the Lord. What the fool despises in wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord that is at the heart of it. They're set against him. And so right here in this thesis moment in the book, Solomon sets up for us a tension that's going to weave itself throughout the entirety of the book of Proverbs. The tension between wisdom and foolishness. Over and over you'll see, especially in the first nine chapters, there are only two paths in life. Only two ways of walking, to use the language that we've used for the last month or so. There's only two. Only two ways that you and I can live in God's world according to reality as God defines it. There's the way of wisdom, which starts, continues, and remains when the fear of the Lord. And there's the way of foolishness which despises him and rejects it. The foolishness is about rejecting the centrality of God. That's really what it's about. Foolishness is not about intellect. It's not about knowledge acquisition. Foolishness is about making the world revolve around ourselves. Foolishness is about our desire to be self-oriented and selfish with ourselves at the center of our world. For living for our pleasure, what I want, when I want it, where I want it, and how I want it, the way that I want it. That's what foolishness is. And it's a rejection of the centrality of God. 
the very thing that is highlighted in the fear of the Lord. See, what Proverbs is going to help us to see over and over is that it's the fear of God that rescues us from the delusion that we know better than God. What a grace that is. What a kindness. His Proverbs lays this tension out over and over and over again. Proverbs is constantly pointing us to the fact that the only hope for fools is not better information. Because foolishness isn't an issue of knowledge. Foolishness is a heart issue. So over and over again, as this tension is being unpacked, we're being pointed over and over and over again to the need for divine grace and divine rescue. Every proverb that you read points to the fact that Jesus had to come. He had to live the life that we could not live. He had to die the death that we deserve to die for our foolishness. He had to rise again to conquer sin and death itself or there would be no hope for us fools. Proverbs, as we begin to understand it, is a giant beacon pointing directly to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever understood Proverbs that way. What a grace. This reality shapes then the way that we actually approach Proverbs as we read them. This shapes the way that we receive them, read them, teach them, preach them, understand them. It absolutely dictates that approach. They're gifts of God's grace. Every single proverb you come across as you begin to read it in God's word, you get a glimpse of his grace showing you again what was meant to be. As the tension between wisdom and foolishness is played out, even in these little moments, these proverbs, we get a glimpse of what was meant to be. And God allows us, even in the moment, to grieve what was lost because of our sin. In each and every proverb, we see again how sin has shattered what God created. We see in every proverb that foolishness is everywhere. That's why they're there, because foolishness is everywhere. And in each and every single proverb, we're reminded that because foolishness is everywhere, inside our hearts, what we need is the restoration of God's grace. We're reminded by every proverb we read that Jesus had to come. That he had to live in our place, die in our place. In every single proverb we read, we get a moment by God's grace to long for a future free of foolishness. Like if you were to take the 
the wisdom of the Proverbs. As it lays out foolishness and wisdom in all these different scenarios, if you were just to take the wisdom, the skillful living in God's world out of the Proverbs and put it all together, what a world that would be. Who doesn't want to live there? That's exactly where the story is going. A day that is going to come when foolishness will be no more. Every proverb is a glimpse, not only into what was lost because of sin and the presence of foolishness even in our own hearts right now and the necessity for Jesus to have to come to rescue us because of the heart condition of our foolishness, but it's a look ahead to the fullness of what's to come in his promise. And it cultivates in us a longing, an anticipation. Every proverb we we read gives us again a glimpse into the fatherly love of God. These are the proverbs of Solomon. And in the first nine chapters, it's going to be set in the context of a father teaching his son. Even in verse 8, like I showed you, as he talks about mothers and fathers teaching their children. Every proverb we read is God himself in his kindness and grace pulling us close to him on the sofa out of love, setting us on his hip. And in love, letting us know this is what I want for you. This is the life that I want for you. Here's what I have for you now. Every single proverb is a glimpse into the grace of his fatherly care for us. Every single proverb is a glimpse into the grace of his generosity. How kind and generous of God that he would freely give such wisdom to fools like us. Every proverb we come across is a gift of God's exposing grace into our heart. Every proverb is within it the grace of God's conviction. God lovingly exposing our sin and drawing us close. You see, it's grace when God gives us eyes to see ourselves in a way we wouldn't without the exposure that only he can give. And every proverb he gives us here is a gift of that exposure. A mirror in essence that allows us to see by his spirit and his word what's really going on in our hearts. Oh my gosh, I really am that foolish. What he's talking about right there, that's me. That's my heart. That's what I want. That's how I live. I didn't even realize it. Friends, that's the grace of conviction. And that conviction comes with a godly grief because we see clearly what we didn't see before, the foolishness and the sin in our heart, and it grieves us. But that grief and conviction leads to real and true and honest confession. 
Proverbs grace of exposing and convicting our hearts. It, it gives substance to our confession. Gives clarity to our confession. Gives specificity, specificity to our confession. We see clearly where our foolishness has taken root in our heart. Where our selfishness has taken root in our heart. Where our heart is bound up in living for our world and our ways. And gives specificity then to how we can confess that reality to God. And then gives specificity to what real repentance looks like. Repentance is literally turning from one thing to another. The convicting grace of God in every single proverb gives us both. It gives us eyes to see what we couldn't see in our own heart, to grieve and to confess and to repent, but it gives us eyes to see wisdom, what we're turning to. This is the grace of God for us in the book of Proverbs. I'm not sure what you thought about it when you came in. But but Christian motivational posters, they are not. They're not simply, you should. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. That's not what they are at all. That's lazy. That's not what's here. God in his grace is after our heart. Listen to this summation. It might be my favorite that I read. Every warning of the Proverbs is a grace. Every morsel of understanding that's imparted is a grace. Every practical guidance is a grace. Every moral encouragement is a grace. You could argue the fact that the book of Proverbs is in the Bible is a glorious grace. This is God unpacking things only he would ever know as the creator and sovereign and savior that we would know yet we desperately need. This is God warning us away from danger. So the very existence of the Proverbs in the Bible tells you that your God is a God of sweet, faithful, never changing grace. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It is the start and the controlling principle to a life lived to the glory of God and our deepest joy. And as we prepare this morning to respond to God's word, I I want you to do so knowing that the book of Proverbs directs our hearts in each and every wisdom moment it gives us. It directs our hearts to the ultimate expression of what the right fear of God is, which is a surrender of all we are to his son. The ultimate expression of the fear of God is the surrender of all that we are to his son. The one who is the wisdom of God. When we go humble and empty-handed to him for rescue, for his rule, that is the expression, ultimately, of the fear of the Lord. And that's his invitation to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn 
from me. Listen, friends, as you and I surrender ourselves to him, the fear remains. The reverence, the awe, it it remains. Because God hasn't changed. But we know that there's no fear there of punishment. Because that's been removed by Jesus' death and resurrection. In its place is now an eternal and abiding acceptance and love. And it's from there that you and I, by God's grace, learn to live from him well, skillfully in his world, according to his reality for his glory and our deepest And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to give you a moment to just consider God's word this morning to us from the book of Proverbs. How might God be working in your heart? And then for those who have surrendered all they are in repentance and confidence and faith in Jesus, you'll be invited to come forward to proclaim your confidence in him by receiving communion, remembering his body broken in your place for your sin, his blood shed for your forgiveness. And as you're doing it, you're proclaiming not only the presence of the fear of the Lord in your heart and life, but you are proclaiming your hope in the one who is the wisdom of God. So let me pray for us and then we'll respond together. Heavenly Father, help us this morning by your spirit to see you clearly. Grip us this morning with a righteous fear and awe of the pervasiveness of your presence, a reverence that shapes a desire in us to live skillfully for you. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' good name. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.